This podcast is a ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Hatfield, Pennsylvania. And now, the message. Well, we're going to dive into what's going to be the second from the last message on the book of 1 Corinthians. We've been at it for 30-something weeks now. And uh, I know it feels like more. But, uh, but before we do that, I'm going to invite you just to pray with me. Uh, let's, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we pause. Uh, already this morning, we had a chance to, to greet others and uh, to maybe talk a little and encourage by our concern and our interest. We've had a chance to uh, sing and worship together this opportunity to give as part of our worship. Lord, now we come to your word. And through each of these pieces, especially right now, we're so aware of how much we need you to speak to us. We believe that these words were inspired, are inspired, and that you intend for them to impact our lives. And so help us to listen with that intent. Even as we study your word this morning and apply it to our lives. We can't ignore the fact that we live in a world that needs you so desperately. Even this week, news of this terrible earthquake in Italy, the ongoing flooding in the southwest, Louisiana especially, people that we know, friends of ours, whose home was basically gutted from about shoulder height down This isn't just some news from around the world. These are people we know. These are churches just like ours. And we ask that you would not only sustain them and protect them, but that somehow by your grace, you would fill them with a drive and a power. Instead of being discouraged, that they would find opportunities in this difficulty to share the gospel and to be reminded of your promises in the coming days and weeks and months, we ask that perhaps you even show us some way in which we can participate and help them. We want to be encouraged. Father, our, our nation, we're heading toward a presidential election and with all of the rhetoric, it's, it's on a normal year, it's a little bit too much. This year, it just seems out of control. And it's so important for us to pause again as your people and be reminded that nothing is out of your control. Perhaps the thing that provokes us the most is we become more and more aware of the need for justice, for truth, not just spin. So God, help us to turn whatever frustration or anger at times we feel into something that is positive. Give us a burning desire for what is just and righteous and loving. And we pray that somehow, by your grace, you would direct our nation toward those goals, even if those who are intending to lead us have trouble recognizing them. Father, I know that in a group this size, there are people here this morning who are struggling. It may not show on the outside, but there are hurts and there are burdens. There are folks who have been praying and praying and praying And they still haven't seen the answer to your prayer. They've attempted to grow weary 
to death. And yet, in this room too, there are those who've been praying and praying and praying, and just this week you came through for them. There are some here who are battling chronic sickness. The Don has her, her procedure tomorrow. It's so great that John, John could be here today as he waits for a liver. Lord, and then there's others that we can't, we, we don't even know about. But you know, and we ask that you would touch their bodies, touch their minds, touch that spirit, and bring them joy in the midst of their waiting. And now to us, as we open your word, we are not really interested in learning something new. Not nearly as much as we are interested in becoming someone new. And so we ask that your spirit would speak to us. May my words be your words so that these, your people, are conformed to your image. And I ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're in 1 Corinthians 15. If you have a copy of the scriptures, you want to get it out and open that up. Uh, if you don't have a copy, there's probably a blue hardcover Bible uh, in the chair pocket in front of you. And we're going to project these things as well. Second half of 1 Corinthians 15. Last week, Pastor Jim did a great job trying to cover one of the most important passages in all of Scripture, which is this Paul's addressing the resurrection of Jesus. Well, what's interesting is that, you know, as, as, he's, as he's zeroing in on helping the, the Corinthians understand the role and the purpose, the centrality of the resurrection of Jesus, something happens. You won't find this surprising that somebody in the Corinthian church begins to kind of scoff and mock and push back. They're like, <laughs> and, it's, and it's across the whole church, there's this kind of snickering and, and pushback about resurrection. Uh, do you ever feel like that's the way the world around us treats your faith? With a snicker and a scoff? Yeah, it's not uncommon. It is kind of fun, however, to watch how Paul is going to address it in the church in Corinth. And so we're going to start reading in verse 35. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15. First thing we're going to see is he's going to talk about resurrection. And where does he start? Not with resurrection, but death. And his first point is simply this. Death is needed. It's not just this terrible thing. It's actually important. And he'll explain why. Verse 35. But someone will ask, he says, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body will they come? Now, Okay, that little tone inflection isn't even in the Greek. But you kind of get the sense that there's kind of like this mocking tone. And, and actually, this isn't a hard problem to understand. I mean, think about it this way. Okay, let's see. So, Uncle Fred finally dies. So you bury Uncle Fred, and he's decomposed. And in the field right next to the cemetery, there's a big wheat field, and the farmer plants wheat. And it's easy to understand how some of those nutrients from Uncle Fred may eventually make it over into the wheat field and become part of the wheat plant, which is fine. It's all academic until you realize that the farmer cuts down the wheat and he sends it to the market where it is bought and made into flour. And that flour is then baked into bread. And then you bake the bread and you bring it home. And now you're serving Uncle Fred to your family. <laughs> right? <laughs> Now, not only is that thought disturbing in itself, now add to that this crazy cockamamie idea that somehow, someday, God is going to resurrect everybody. What's Uncle Fred going to look like? Part Fred, part wheat, 
part piece of bread. I don't know. Wait, wait, what does he look like? And so they're scoffing with this kind of pragmatic, like, how would that work? That's even impossible. And even in our day, with our level of understanding, it would be easy to go, actually, how is that going to work? Paul's going to address it. He goes on. How foolish, he says. You guys, whenever you feel like your faith is being attacked, and it's, it's coming from this kind of pragmatic, like, that's just silly. We can respond with, well, that's just foolish. It's, you're, you're trying to make it sound so simplistic. Because how foolish. What you sow does not come to life, he says, unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be just the seed, perhaps of wheat or of Uncle Fred, I mean, or something else. But God gives a body, gives it a body as he determined, and each kind of seed he gives its own body. It's pretty simple. When you want to plant corn, you don't bury corn, you bury seeds. And how interesting that when you plant a seed, what comes out looks different than what went in. It's almost embarrassingly simple, isn't it? And yet, let's not miss this point. On the exact same spot where you stuck a seed in the ground, in that same place later will grow something completely different than what you planted. And, and yet, in its maturity, it is still the same exact thing that you planted. And yet it looks completely different from the little seed. Everybody knows this, Paul says. Everybody knows this. Why does this make it so hard for you? In fact, he basically says, what is it? Why, why is it so incredible to think that death could produce life? Careful. We are tempted to think of death as the end. Paul says, I don't think, if you've looked around at how God made the world, Death almost always produces life. It's just one step in the process. He says, it's not that incredible. Don't go, oh, no, it's not that incredible. He goes on, verse 39. He says, not all flesh is the same flesh. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds have another, fish have another. He basically says, why is it so incredible to think that God has made so many different kinds of bodies? Why is it so hard to believe that there's another kind of body that you just haven't seen yet. Think about the, the diversity in life. I remember I had this wonderful privilege to, uh, to go scuba diving in the South China Sea. Now, I love scuba diving anyway, but the South China Sea was pretty exotic. And as I'm swimming along, and I, I, I thought I saw a fish, I'm, I'm looking for any kind of life I can see, and I thought I saw something, and I looked, no, just a piece of coral. Then I looked again, and it was moving, then it stopped, and I realized what it was. It was... It was a, a, a Nautilus. I've only seen these on TV. And this thing could, could like an octopus, could, could change. And suddenly it looked like a piece of rock and it would move. It was amazing. Paul says, so God can make those kind of things and yet you're having a problem believing that he could make a resurrected body. What he's saying is, it's not that big of a stretch. He goes on. He says, there are heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies, 
But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, the stars another, and the stars differ from each other in their splendor. Now, we're not going to take the bait and talk about all kinds of creation science, or, or although I would love to, if you know me, I would totally geek out on some of what he's identifying here. But basically, in Paul's argument, he's saying, I don't understand. Why is it so incredible to think that God would create a body since he's created so many different kinds? Why is it so hard to believe that he would create a body that is magnitudes more glorious than the ones you see now? I don't know if you know, if you're like us, right about now, there is not a single thing to watch on TV on any of the 800 channels. Amen. It is ridiculous. So, so what happens is you end up by watching stuff that you wouldn't normally watch, including some of these documentaries. And, and, and once you start watching some, and, and sometimes you know you don't really want to watch it, but then you get sucked in. You watch some of these things about the universe and its expansiveness. All they have to do is start talking about our sun. And it blows my mind. Like, this, this gigantic nuclear explosion going on constantly. And what we feel is, ooh, that's warm. But we're not toast. It's amazing. And to think that our sun is like a puny little thing compared to other ones out there, that's terrifying. Paul just says, you know, I, I don't understand why you guys think this is so incredible. That God can make little suns, huge suns, mammoth, and yet somehow creating a glorified body is all you can't understand it. Do you catch his drift? He says, this really isn't that big of a stretch to a God who's already done these other things. Let's go on. So he says, so. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. So it will be what he's just said. Things that are dead but actually come to life. Things that look very different and yet are just the same as what went in. Things that are so much more glorious than the first one and yet still body. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is so imperishable is raised imperishable. It's sown in dishonor, but it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, but it's raised in power. It's sown a natural body and it's raised a spiritual body. It's not that hard to imagine, he says. The next thing he's going to say is that not only do we need death, you see, because without death, things don't come to life. Not only do we need death, but there's a need for change. In fact, this whole death thing is a good thing. If you've experienced death lately, you can even get a little miffed at me when I sound flippant about it. And I'm not. When it's someone that you love, and you're feeling the emptiness in the hole, it is not a small thing. And that is not what Paul's saying. But what he is saying is, let me remind you of the bigger picture to give you a different perspective on what you're experiencing right now. He said, for anybody to still be alive and to, to see you someday, that had to occur. Now he's going to say, we really need a change. And I'm going to explain why. Verse 44. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. 
So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, that's Jesus, he became a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was the dust of the earth. The second was of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as the heavenly man, so are those who are of heaven. Just as we have been born, the, we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. It's really not complicated. What he's saying is, we need change. You see, when Adam came, he was made from the earth. The first Adam. Because he failed, God sent the second Adam, who was Jesus. But Jesus wasn't from the earth. He was from heaven. Adam breathed, had life breathed into him. Jesus breathes life into others. Do you hear the contrast? Adam was from the earth. Jesus was from heaven. So those who are from Adam are also from the earth. Those who are from Jesus are from heaven. We've been born of one. We will be born of another. Paul's point is so simple, we could almost miss it. Do you want to be related to just one Adam or both Adams? You already have the equipment for one Adam. To get the, the equipment for the other Adam, you have to go the way that he went. There's a death involved. So he's been answering their objections and he's trying to settle their thinking. You guys are thinking too simplistic. Look at the big picture, he says. The answers are all around them in God's creation. But now, after this passage, he's going to go back to the resurrection. In fact, it's going to be his final comment on the resurrection, which will be basically his final comments in the whole book. So before we look at it, let me ask you, what do you expect Paul to be talking like when he's getting to the very climax of the whole book as he's talking about resurrection. You expect some energy. You expect some heart. You expect some excitement. Truth is, it's going to be filled with glory. In fact, what he writes next is like a like a climactic victory. It's like a it's like a symphony. Everyone knows that a symphony comes in movements, one building on another, playing on themes from the first and the second. He's going to, in fact, his symphony here on, on uh, resurrection, it does have three parts. And I'm hoping that by the time we're done with this, we're all ready to pop. Because I think Paul is. Are you ready? Get yourself ready. Don't hurt somebody next to you. The first movement in this symphony, he says, we ought to celebrate the future transformation of these bodies. Starting in verse 50. He says this. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. We've got to get this straight as people of God, followers of Jesus. Regardless of what the world around us keeps saying, death is not some unfortunate, tragic event that just simply can't be helped. That is not what death is. 
Death is the process through which Jesus gets us ready for his kingdom. Kind of like sci-fi movies. Seems like every other sci-fi movie has something to do with humans becoming metahumans with all kinds of abilities. Think X-Men and all that stuff. And I, I love them all. I'm such a geek. But what's interesting is over and over and over again in these little stories, this metamorphosis, this change has to happen so that you're ready for what's coming next. And I watch these shows and, and everybody else is snickering because it's kind of silly and I'm saying, wait, 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 wait. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. If I want to go to heaven, if you want to be in his kingdom, if you want to be before his glory, then you have to get your glory suit on. What Paul's saying is, if you go the way you are, puff, gone. In a flash, you wouldn't be toast. You need a new suit, one that is built for that kind of glory. We don't go into outer space just like this. You need a suit. You need a suit for the kingdom of these He says, listen. I tell you a mystery. Listen. He's kind of like saying, hey, hey, wait. See, it works. What? That's what he's saying. Wait, don't miss this. Listen. Let me get your attention. Wake up. When I hear that, I keep thinking about that. And I told it at Easter, but the little third grade girl, fourth grade girl, sitting in Sunday school, and they're talking about the resurrection. And she's telling them, the teacher's telling the story. And then Jesus came out of the tomb. What do you think Jesus said when he came out of the tomb? And the tomb. And the little girl goes, Ta-da! <laughs> I think that's what Paul's got in mind. He says, wait, wait, listen. Here it comes. I tell you a mystery. We're not talking like Sherlock Holmes, Father Brown, you know, whatever. We're not talking mystery like that. Biblically, a mystery is something that wasn't understood before this, and now we're getting new information. Something that no one else, not Moses, not Abraham, not Isaiah or Jeremiah, none of the biggies, Jacob, none of those biggies, none of them knew what you're going to know right now. What is it? Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will be changed. He's talking about the rapture of the church. You see, here we are saying that death transforms us so that we're ready for the next phase of our eternal existence with God. Well, wait a minute, though. Some will not have died when Jesus comes. What happens to them? That's what he's answering. Now, I know many of you who've been around church all your life, you thought that that was just a plaque that goes in most church nurseries. <laughs> we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. <laughs> I actually saw that in several churches, and I was in Bible college before I realized it actually came from the Bible first. <laughs> I was a little embarrassed, but you know, if you're me, you're used to that. He's talking about the rapture of the church. What he's saying is, there are going to be some who don't even taste death. Oh, wait, I thought you said it was needed. No, they're going to be transformed, boom, like that. Heard about a little boy who he was asking his mom, Mom, what exactly is death like? So she knelt next to him and she said, Well, honey, you know sometimes when, when you fall asleep out in the living room 
And so dad usually comes with his big strong arms and he picks you up and he carries you and he puts you in your bed. That's what death is like. You go to sleep in one room. And you wake up in another. That's what Paul is trying to get us to understand. Is this comforting strength. Death isn't something to be afraid of for us. We don't, we don't see it where we want, but breathe. He goes on. He says in verse 42, 52, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, the, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and then we will be changed. He says, in a flash. What an interesting word, atonos. Atonos. It's, it's like Adam, where we get the word Adam. He's saying, in the smallest amount of time you can imagine. So I started thinking, well, what's the smallest amount of time we can imagine? My first thought was, oh, a millisecond. And I found out, nah. Milliseconds, microseconds, nanoseconds. So far, the smallest one that we can title is called the octosecond. I'm not making that up. The octosecond. But everybody knows that's simply the time it takes for a cork to emit a blue one. <laughs> okay, so I mean, now you go, oh, okay. Those I didn't make those words up. Honest, those exist. That's quantum mechanics. But it's one septillionth of a second. And Paul's saying it's going to be quicker than that. And what happens? The moment these others who have been dead are raised, then we who are alive, and I want you to notice Paul said we. He expected to be one of them. Now, you can either think, well, Paul was a loser, an apostle, and he, and he was so wrong, he was like 2,000 years off. First of all, remember, we're talking about a God where 2,000 years is pretty much a yacht a second. But he's also saying that we should be just like him and be anticipating Jesus' return at any time because that's what it's going to come when we least expect. So he says, in a flash, in a moment, a twinkling over the die, the dead will be raised imperishable and then we will be changed. Wow. Just like that, everything changes. For the perishable must, must, must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. It has to be, because we're going to be immortal, eternal. And so these bodies that are temporary must be transformed. Not only is resurrection, resurrection not comical and mock-worthy, it's essential and fundamental what he's saying is look around it, 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 you can figure it out by yourself. And sooner or later, this is what every single person struggles with. I've got, I've got immediate family members who would say that all of this stuff that we believe is, oh, oh, fools, that's silly. Well, what do you think happens when a person dies? Well, they just die and they go in the dirt, just like a dog. But in quiet moments, in the back of their mind. They are not hoping that's true. They're thinking, how can that be true? Because I feel like there's so much here that shouldn't be lost. 
betrayed. That's why it won't be lost. You have a soul that is eternal. So basically what Paul is doing is he's calling us. He says, we need to learn to live in the present day. All the while keeping the future clearly in view. We live now, but we never forget what's coming next. So the first movement was this transformation of our bodies. By the way, some of you here, almost all of us have got some ache or pain. Some of us got a few more than others, and we tell people about them all the time. But, I mean, I mean, Don's going to go for a procedure. John's here this morning. He's waiting for a liver transplant. There, there's others. There. Some of us desperately need transformation in this body. Do you really want to take this into eternity? If I've got to go into some kind of a death to come out like Jesus, that's what happens. I'm ready. So he says, celebrate the former, the future transformation of your body. Secondly, celebrate the future termination of sin. Verse 54. <clears throat> he says, now when the perishable has been clothed with imperishable and mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. I love the fact that he uses this term sting. I think everybody sort of kind of likes a sting. Right? One of those movies and one of those plot lines where somebody thinks they're all that smart. The bad guy thinks he's smart. He's going to outsmart all the good guys. But in the end, it actually turns around and kind of bites the bad guy. He gets it instead. Right? There was a a New England preacher, uh, Henry Ward Beecher. He's one of the, like, for preachers, he's like a rock star, you know, because he had this sting. He got up in the pulpit once, and, and on the pulpit, this is like 1870-something, so old English Puritan kind of preacher gets up in the, in the pulpit, and there's a letter, and on it is written, big letters, FOOL! And in a beautiful sting, he holds it up to the congregation. He says, you know, I've heard about people, I've heard about men who write letters but forget to sign their name. But this is the first time I ever somebody I ever saw somebody sign their name and forget to write the letter. <laughs> yeah. you, know, it's just, you love it, like that's preacher talk. Anyway. Um, but the way stings work is the badder the bad guy, the sweeter the sting. The more smart, the more stoic way they got this all figured out, usually in a good story, he escapes it, escapes it, and you're like, oh, come on, come on, come on. And then the best stories are when the really bad guy gets, gets stuck in the trap that he made. And we say, yes! Can you imagine Satan's glee as he watched the crucifixion unfold? Can you imagine... Oh, I, like, oh, here we go, here we go. Oh, this is, oh, no, that had to hurt. Oh, I can't, you know, in fact, I keep thinking, he's saying to myself, I can't believe this is going to work, except Satan was so deluded, he really did think it was going to work. How, how do you watch the Son of God die and not know, wait, something's going to go wrong? And so there he is watching this happen. He's watching those nails go in, and he's watching the anguish, and he sees the life pour out of Christ, and the, the limp body 
and tossed into that hole, and there had to be such glee. Right about now, you start the sting music. Because the very thing that Satan thought he would use to get rid of Jesus turned out to be the very thing that would free us all from his clutches. Jesus' death bought forgiveness for us. And his resurrection established his power over death. So Paul says his second coming is where he'll complete that victory over death. How could Satan not know that God was going to win? Like, it's kind of like, you know, if you watch a horror movie, you always know that the friend that walks off by himself, oh, he's dead, right? Or that commercial, you know, hide behind the chainsaws. Yeah, that, oh, good place. <laughs> it's like being the guy in the red shirt on a Star Trek episode, right? I mean, you're just, you know, oh, he's not going to be here long, right? How, how could he not know this? And yet sin breeds a kind of arrogance that makes us blind, which is why the people even around us can't see what seems so clear to you and I. You see, Jesus was the ultimate sting. He, he stung the stinger. He reaped the grim reaper. He beat death by his death. And in doing so, one day he will put death to death. First story about a boy and his dad. They were out the, driving in a car, and as they were going down the road, all of a sudden there's a little kind of a little noise, and a, and a bee flew into the car. Well, the little boy became panicked because he is, he's definitely allergic to bee stings. And so the kid starts flashing or thrashing in the car, and his dad's driving, saying, Wait, wait, son, son, settle down, settle down. And all of a sudden, of course, the bee gets near a window. And so instinctively, that dad just grabs the bee to protect his son. Kind of gives a little squeeze. And then he opened his hand, thinking to show this, his boy this dead bee. But he hadn't squished it enough to kill it. And it flew away. And the boy began to, to get all excited again and scream. And the, and, and the dad's like, wait, wait, stop, stop. Look, 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 look. I have a stand. He can't hurt you. Jesus, I took the sting. It can't hurt you. Death is no longer a monster. It's not something to be afraid of. We've got to remember that even though on this side of the curtain, death looks kind of scary and unknown. On the other <coughs> side, not only is it not a monster, really death is nothing more than a servant of our master. The divine Uber driver. <laughs> God says, hey, that's my son, Mike. He's ready. I want you to go get him and bring him to me. Yes, sir. When that car pulls up out front, we're like, oh, no, not me. I'm like, is it time? Let's go. Bye. I don't think I'm overselling this. If we know that this is what eternity looks like, then death does not scare us. In fact, that's what's so heartbreaking about funerals where people don't know Christ. <laughs> oh my goodness.
this truth that might make us just want to jump up and shout and sing, which is pretty much what Paul does next. He says, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through Christ, through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we almost need to say it together. Will you read that with me? But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. None of you think it should sound like that, right? Not if we, not if it's a victory. So this is very embarrassing. <laughs> but I promise not to share the video with too many people. Can we read that? Sort of a little bit more like we mean it, like it should sound like. Ready? But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. about the termination of sin, the stuff that caught, yep, it's going to be gone, yay! This third part, he's going to talk about the future compensation for our work. It's kind of interesting. Paul almost never talks about doctrine without eventually talking about application. He's been talking about doctrine this whole time, the doctrine of the resurrection. In one verse, he's going to touch on the application. And actually, it by itself almost looks like a little, a little symphony. He says, uh, again, it's reinforcing. We're still living the present, keeping the future clearly in view. Therefore, my dear brothers, therefore, all the cheering, wait, 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 therefore, of course, we were, many of us were trained. What's the therefore, therefore? Right? <laughs> this is the application. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, come out. Who is he writing to? In the church again. Okay, honestly now, if you've been here for most of this series, haven't there been a few times when you just wanted to throttle these people? <laughs> Bunch of ignoramuses, right? These guys are just, their doctrine is deficient, their behavior is deficient, they are just... And Paul says, my dear brothers and sisters, he didn't even love us. He loves them. Then he gives three simple, a, a perfect preacher's three-point sum to this whole sermon. Ready? Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, he loves them. Point one. What kind of people should you be? He says, stand firm. Don't let anything move you. What does standing firm and not letting anything move you have to do with all this information about a new body and the termination of sin and our future. What is it, and this is for you to apply, what is it that in this past week has made it difficult to remember God's plan for you and instead you focused on the circumstances? He says, stand firm. Don't let that stuff move you. Be the kind of person that will cling to this. What should we be doing? Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. If you're not serving other believers or 
unsafe, folks, if you're not actively, if you couldn't right now write at the top of your notes or something what, what your ministry is, what your service is, how you, then you are missing and you are, you're in this wobbly place. He says, stand firm and then give yourself fully. Some of us give ourselves occasionally. He says, give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Now, there's balance needed here. We don't want to, you know, fry our families and, and be poor stewards. But in my experience, that's less of a problem. <laughs> More about we're so busy being good stewards that we dabble with God's work. We show up when we can, unless there's like a family event or a work event or we're just tired. And I don't sign up for the other stuff because then, then, then you got to add that every week. So, so I don't want to, I mean, do you have a job that like I can do once in a while? And the point is, we miss out on what's going to give us the sense of strength. He says we should be the kind of people who are always doing, always looking for a way to give our lives fully to what God's doing. Where's God working? Go be a part of it. And lastly, he says, because you know your labor is not in vain. For those of you who are active and you're serving the Lord in some important ways, and you've been tempted to, to pull back, you've been kind of tired, or you're working and you're not sure that, I don't even know if I'm making a difference. If you've been waffling and doubting and getting tired, I want you to imagine for a moment if God could transport you to the future and you could see this award ceremony. And He could give you the name of every person that you gave a kind word to. Every person that you were patient with. Every time you sacrificed. Even when you weren't cataloging it, he was. And he says, well done, well done, well done, well done. I think if we came back here, we would find new vigor, new endurance. Remember that your labor not in vain. So, I don't know what is an application for you today. <clears throat> Maybe you need to re-examine your life. What is it that maybe could use a change starting today? Is it something about your, your body, its issues that holds you back? discourages you. Maybe you need to remember that this thing is not made to last, which explains some of the problems. But the next one will. Or is it sin? Do you watch the world around us and you become so convicted and so angry and so offended? Or do you look inside and you see the sin? And you say, this is not supposed to be here. This should be different. This is disgusting. Lord, you must not love me. Remember that not only did he die for your sins, one day he will annihilate sin. And there's something about living for that day that makes, makes us able to deal with it now. Or, or is it that sometimes you're just, you're just not sure of all the work and all the struggle and all the stress is worth it. You know what? I'm out. I'm out. I just need a break. And we need to be reminded that everything he 
He's eager. He's ready to compensate us. It's not in vain. It has a purpose. So, what we do today? How will we respond? He's coming back. He, he may not make it to lunch. And nobody here will be complaining. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it's so easy for us to kind of overlook what you did. We know you came, we know you died, oh, it must have been painful, but you love us, and so thank you for being such a good example. But wait, you actually conquered death. And because of that, because you took the sting, I'm not, I'm not sure why I keep living like I'm afraid. Why am I afraid? Lord, make me courageous. Because sin is no longer permanent. Pain isn't permanent. This body isn't permanent. You have a plan. You showed it in your resurrection, and because we're part of you, we will have our resurrection. Lord, may the truth of the resurrection change how we live each moment of every day. Thanks for listening. Intro music by bensound.com. Visit us online at crossroads-cc.org.